Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worst. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. So we're coming to this third part of our study here of the Lord's table. And just to remind you where we've been, we've been dealing with those catechism questions from the larger catechism uh, that basically amount to the question of what we should do before or in preparation for the Lord's table. Last week it was what should our attitude be and what should we be doing during the Lord's table? And so now we're coming to the last one, question 175, and that is what is the duty of Christians after they have received the sacrament of the Lord's table? The Lord's table is a means of grace. That's what we've been talking about. It's the much larger umbrella. So what was it, four, three, four Sundays ago? Um, the Sunday school lesson was on that larger theme, the means of grace. It's something that we talk about all the time here. Um, it, the means of grace is, uh, for you young people, the means of grace is the thing that you should use when determining what church you should go to. Um, you may not always live in Winston-Salem. You might not always be here. Um, and so how do you find a church? You look at the means of grace that are used in that church. Uh, I was talking to somebody just recently about um, a very large church in another state. So it's nothing to do with any church here in town, but a large church in another state that's the happening, exciting place to be. 
But the vast majority of the people that go there do not go there because of the means of grace that are exercised there. They go there because of the bells and whistles and all the stuff and all the, all, all the things that are going on at that church. And it's a happening place to be. And the, the preaching is good at that place and, and all the rest of it. But the focus is not on the means of grace, the preaching of the word, the praying of the Lord's people, um, and, and the ordinances of the church. Um, there's a lot of peripheral things that grab people's attention and are way, way, way up on the list of priorities of what to look for in a church when what you ought to be looking for primarily is the means of grace and all the other things are completely of secondary issues. And so the Lord's table is one of those means that the Lord has chosen to bless his people It's how God ordinarily and normally does it. And we've talked over the past couple weeks about how we do the Lord's Table communion here in our church. We do it monthly. Most of the Free Presbyterian churches do communion monthly. A few um, do it weekly. Um, I think the only two I know of that do it every week is Jason's Church in Mexico City and Lalo's Church in Cordoba. I'm not sure of any of the churches in the United States that do a weekly communion. And we've talked about the pros and cons of weekly communion, monthly communion, quarterly communion, etc. I don't know if any of you know this, but back you know, 150, 200 years ago, many churches did communion annually. And it was a big deal. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever seen what's called a communion token. You've been to Chuck E. Cheese, and at Chuck E. Cheese or what's that, Adventure Landing, the putt-putt place up here, you get the little tokens. And so you put your money in, you get the tokens to play the games with. Um, Well, the churches would issue coins made of metal. They were minted just like coins, and they were communion tokens. And in order for you to be able to take communion, you had to have a communion token. You basically turned in your token and you got your communion. And we're not talking about Catholic churches. We're talking about quality, Puritan, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. But the communion was a big deal. There would be a week of meetings leading up to communion dealing with issues of the Lord's table, dealing with issues of preparing one's heart. And the minister and the elder would either actively go to homes or make themselves available. And if you wanted to partake of communion at the end of that communion week, then you were interviewed afresh by the elders, the leadership of the church, and on your profession of faith and walk with the Lord, etc., you would be given a communion token, and you were allowed to partake of communion. Now, we might look at that from our perspective today and our own experience and think that maybe that's a little bit overboard, kind of over the top in the, the methodology. But what were they doing? They were seeking honestly before the Lord to guard the Lord's table as a leadership of the church. They were trying to do what is, from their perspective, their part in making sure that 
none were eating and drinking unworthily. They were seeking to prevent false professors from coming to the Lord's table. And they were trying to emphasize the true solemnity that is there in the practice. Now, were they perfect in it? Of course not. Were there unbelievers that got a communion token? Of course there were. But the perspective that they had on it was that this is solemn. This is important. This is worth our time. This is a big deal. And I think we've lost some of that. I think even in a monthly partaking of the Lord's table, we can fall into the same pitfalls that we argue when we talk about the weekly partaking of the Lord's table. It becomes perfunctory. It becomes rote. It becomes just the thing you do on the first Sunday. It becomes part of the routine, and we're liable to not do as the catechism has instructed us here and mentally and spiritually pump the brakes and give due attention to what's taking place. And that really is just the emphasis of what the catechism is talking about in our preparation and in our um, actual partaking. And so now we come to question 175 of what to do in the aftermath of the Lord's table. The Lord's table is finished. We have, we have partaken of it. It's done. What do we do now? And so let's read the answer that's given. I'll, I mean, I'll read it. You're not going to read it, except for just look at it, and I'll read it to you, but follow along. The duty of Christians, after they have received the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, is seriously to consider how they have behaved themselves therein and with what success. If they find quickening and comfort, to bless God for it, beg the continuance of it, watch against relapses, fulfill their vows, and encouraging themselves to a frequent attendance on that ordinance. But if they find no personal benefit, more exactly, to review their preparation to and carriage at the sacrament, in both which, if they can approve themselves to God and their own consciences, They are to wait for the fruit of it in due time. But if they see they have failed in either, they are to be humbled and to attend upon it afterward with more care and diligence. And so the first thing that's given to us here, just to to jump right into the points, just like we've been doing with all these, is break it down into its individual parts. The first one is to consider how you have behaved yourself and what success you have had in the ordinance. And so if you go back to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, but let a man examine himself. And that really is the whole tenor of what these questions are getting at anyway. Let a man examine himself. And so in a very real sense, our examination should be before we come to the table, yes, Last week, we talked about the fact that our examination should be ongoing as we are partaking of the Lord's table. And last week, if you remember, I told you the spoiler alert, we're going to be dealing with the same thing next week, too. And so next week, we, or today, we deal with our examination even after the Lord's table. Consider what success has been in it. 
And so what are we considering? What are we evaluating? What are we seeking to judge the success or lack of success of? It is our walk with the Lord, our fight against sin, our efforts at obedience, our life of prayer, our testimony before the world. All these things we're examining in the aftermath of it. And so the writers of the Catechism acknowledge that in considering this, two things are going to happen. And I list those two things at the bottom of, of page one. You, you will, in considering what just happened, you will either find quickening and comfort, you will receive a blessing, or, as they use the language, you will find no present benefit. And so those are the two results. Those are the two conclusions that you would come to after you partake of the Lord's table and after you go through this of considering how you have behaved yourself and what success you've had in the ordinance, you're going to judge that you had great success and the Lord met with you and encouraged you or you'll judge that you had no success. And what just happened? I just went through motions. I wasn't blessed. And so let's look at those two things. So Roman numeral two, the top of page two, what to do if you find quickening and comfort. Now, obviously, this is the desired outcome. This is, this is what we're supposed to be aiming at. If we have gone through a spiritual process of preparing our hearts for the Lord's table, we have, during the Lord's table, done all that we were talking about last week and, and entered in in prayer and searched our heart and sought the Lord to come and minister to us, then this is the outcome, Lord willing, this is the outcome that we're going to have. We're going to find quickening and comfort. And so the catechism answer gives us five things to do if we find that blessing. You're blessed at the table. Well, first of all, you thank the Lord for it. You come to him and you thank God for meeting with you. You thank the Lord that you're saved and that he's brought you to this place. You know, an unbeliever looking at what happens doesn't and can't enter into the spiritual benefit of it. Uh, an unbeliever, even if he is partaking of it uh, unworthily and, and ought not ever to do such a thing, but if, if he does even partake of it, it's just a cracker and juice. There's nothing to it. He, he can't enter into the spiritual significance of what's taking place. But as a believer, we do that. We seek to do that. And we thank the Lord that we have been born again and we've been brought to this table to begin with. We thank the Lord that he's opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel. And we thank the Lord that he's fulfilled his promise to meet with us. Because we understand that we don't deserve to be met with. We don't deserve the Lord to come and minister to us. And so we thank the Lord for those things. B, we pray for the continuance of it. And here what we're doing is we're praying that the Lord will continue to impress upon our minds the person and work of Christ. Because remember, what we're doing is in remembrance of Christ. And so we pray for the Lord to continue to impress these things on our mind, to continue to... Um, to remind us of Christ. I mentioned last week, and Pastor Kimbrose mentioned this point several times, this point has been brought up, 
that there is an aspect of, even if it's just that little bit of rebuke in the words, this do in remembrance of me, the fact that we are so spiritually dull and so spiritually forgetful that we would forget the Lord. But the Lord it says, the Lord says to us in essence, I know the tendency of human flesh. I know the weakness of human flesh that you would forget. And so I'm giving you this to help you remember. And, you know, the hymn writer, uh, we, we sing this hymn quite often, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And this is, this is the attitude of what we're presenting before the Lord, praying for the continuance of the Lord's blessing in our heart. C, it says to watch against relapses. Well, we all, known, we all have known spiritual relapses, just like a dog returned to its vomit, a pig returns to the mire, and a sinner returns to sin. This is the natural tendency of things without the Lord's intervention, without the Lord guiding and controlling in a spirit-filled life. It is, the, it is our natural tendency to return back to old ways, to go back to old sins. And the Christian who is out of fellowship with Christ is one who is a miserable soul. He's, he's not happy. He can't be happy. Because the only place that we find true joy and contentment and, and lasting joy and contentment is with a walk with the Lord. You know, we look at Psalm 16. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And so after the Lord's table, we've received benefit from this. We, we are more on guard to keep from going back to old sins. D, we fulfill our vows. We've made promises to the Lord to obey him, to walk in his ways. And you, you think of this in the context of what we've looked at in the last two lessons. In preparing for the Lord's table, one of the directions that was given to us is to, in essence, renew our vows to the Lord. And then last week we were looking at what to do during the Lord's table, and we saw the exact same thing. We are to, to consider those vows and promises that we have made to the Lord, and, and in that renew those in our, in our praying, in our meditations, as the Lord's table or as the elements are distributed and as we partake and, and during the whole exercise. Well, here, after the Lord's table, we come back to the same thing. It's an emphasis of being constantly spiritually mindful of our obligations to the Lord, our commitment to Him, what we have vowed before the God of heaven that we are to do to follow Him, to walk in His ways, to obey His commandments, and to live for Him in every way that we can. And so this is the fulfilling of our vows. And then we come to a last one, uh, E or number five, Encourage yourself to a frequent attendance to that ordinance. And really, basically, the idea here is rinse and repeat. 
Right? We, are, we, are looking at, we are looking forward to the next time. When do you start to prepare for the next Lord's table? Well, theoretically, after the last one's finished, we're, we're in, in essence, starting over in, in preparing for the Lord's table. And we take and we, after math, and we prepare again. And it, it is part of a natural spiritual cycle of life in the life of a believer faithful at church. I put a little paragraph there at the end of page three. Too many Christians have their lives separated into different parts, and they focus on so many different things and really have, in many ways, misplaced priorities. And it's not that our life should revolve around church for church's sake. I emphasize some of this at a college and career fellowship Friday night. And I emphasize some of this in a devotional to them. You know, it's not that your life revolves around church simply for church's sake. And anytime, I understand how it comes across, anytime a preacher mentions anything about church attendance, it comes across as self-serving. It comes across as preacher talk of, you know, the preacher wants a full building because it's a feather in his cap that he's got a bunch of people that come to his church. And that's not the point at all. And so I've tried to explain this here, what I mean. I'm saying that your life should revolve around your worship of the person and work of Christ. What is our chief end? Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is what your life is supposed to be about. It is supposed to be centered and focused on the worship of the person and work of Christ. Now, since the climax of that worship happens on the Lord's Day during the corporate worship of God's people, then in that sense, your life should revolve around church. Now, we're to worship the Lord all the time. We're to pray without ceasing. We're to sing to ourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And we're supposed to have an entire life of serving the Lord. But what I'm arguing is that the climax of that experience for the Christian is church. It is the gathering of the Lord's people together for the worship of God collectively. We are not mavericks. You, you cannot live a Christian life as a maverick. We're in this together. There is a camaraderie. We are to provoke one another. We're not, we, well, we're to provoke one another unto love and to good works. We are to provoke one another to um, assemble ourselves together. And that's the language that the Bible uses because we're in this together. We're a collective body of believers. And Paul's illustration is beautiful of of the body, of all the different body parts. And one body part hurts, and the rest of the body hurts with it. One body part rejoices, and the rest of the body rejoices with it. But there's a, a collective push, and the language I used when I was talking to the young people is, a, you know, our hands are to the plow, we're pushing the same plow, we're digging the same furrow, and we're about the same cause, the cause of Christ. And I don't mean that in a, a way that is sectarian, 
I don't mean that in a way that is reclusive from any other body of believers. But we be, I belong to this body of believers. Right? We belong to this body of believers. And, and this is the plow we push. And this is the little part of the vineyard, as small as it may be, that we're seeking to cultivate and grow with the Lord's help uh, enabling us to be faithful. And so with that, that's part of the aftermath of it too, the, the encouraging ourselves for the frequency of this and coming back to it over and over. Uh, as if, if the corporate worship on the Lord's Day is the pinnacle of our worship, then there's a sense in which the Lord's table among the Lord's people is the pinnacle of the pinnacle of worship. It is the place that the Lord has promised to meet with us. And so that is what we're to do if we find a great blessing at the Lord's table. But the Catechism acknowledges that that's not always going to happen. And that's where we come to Roman numeral three. What to do if you find no present benefit. Now, this, embarrassingly, is more often, perhaps, the reality that we experience. And unfortunately, this is sometimes the outcome. Not desirable, but sometimes it is. We find no present benefits. And hopefully this is not a consistent outcome, but perhaps it has been. That the Lord's table comes and goes And you've done the thing. You held the little piece and you put it in your mouth when you were supposed to and you turned the cup up when you were supposed to and we sang the song and the final prayer was prayed and that's it. Done. Another communion in the books. And and you obviously know that that's not the way it's supposed to be. But, unfortunately, that is the way sometimes it plays out. And so, the writers of the Catechism acknowledged that sometimes that's the experience of the Lord's people. Sometimes they're greatly blessed. Other times, they just have a lot going on. And they missed it. And I've experienced it. And I think you probably have too. And so, the Catechism addresses that. And it addresses it wisely um, in three ways. The first one is to consider what preparation you made for the ordinance. I read a quote this morning. Waiting on the Lord is hard. But wishing that you had waited on the Lord is even harder. And that really hits home. Waiting on the Lord is tough. But looking back with regret, wishing that you had waited on the Lord, well, that heartache is even harder than the patience to wait on the Lord. And so this first one here says for us to consider what preparation you made for the ordinance. And I would be willing to venture that nine out of ten times when there's no present benefit, there was no previous preparation. And again, 
I've been guilty of it, and I think we all have. So often lack of preparation is, is the culprit. Now, here's the thing. Here, here's the beautiful thing, and here's the greatness and mercy of God. God is able to overcome any amount of sinfulness in the, light of, in the lives of his people. And so you can go completely unprepared, and the Lord still meet with you and bless you. Obviously, that can happen. Obviously, the Lord can overcome our sinfulness. He can overcome our lack of preparation. But even though that is true, and I think we all can agree undeniably true, I think we all can also agree that we should never be so presumptuous as to expect the Lord's blessing when we've made no preparation for it at all. Um, I don't know if you remember, it's been, it was during COVID, and I think it was during an online, I think it was during one of our services that we ended up having on Zoom on Sunday. I don't remember if it was Sunday morning or Sunday night. But there's a passage in the Old Testament where they're in the wilderness, and there's no water. And they pray and they ask the Lord to provide. And the prophet tells them to dig ditches. And the title of my message that evening was, or I think it was a Sunday evening, Digging Ditches in Preparation for Blessing, I think was the title. And they're told to dig ditches in the wilderness. And there's no rain, it's a drought. And the digging of those ditches from a human perspective, made no sense whatsoever. But the prophet said that tomorrow this valley will be filled with water. And they were told to dig these ditches, collection basins, basically. And so they did, and the Lord blessed, and it was full of water. Now, the Lord was going to send water. That, that was promised. The prophet said the Lord's going to send water. But the directions were to the people were simply to prepare, make preparations for that blessing. Had they not prepared, there would have still been water. But there, they would have had a much smaller capacity to collect that water. And I think the, the, the point for us is quite clear as we prepare, we, in essence, enlarge our capacity to receive blessing. Now, please don't misunderstand. This is not robotic. This is not, I prepared, so now, God, you owe me. We can't go there. That, that's, that's not the right place to be. And so it's not that I did my part, now, God, you do your part. That's not at all what we're arguing. But I think you understand the tenor and, and the heart of this. A preparation for blessing increases our capacity to receive blessing. A preparation for blessing opens our spiritual eyes to realize blessing when it comes. Because how many times has it been that we've prayed for one thing and the Lord has given us another thing, only to realize that what the Lord gave us was actually a better thing? It was better than what we asked for. We, we 
We were asking in good faith, thinking that we were asking for what was right. We weren't asking sinfully. We were just asking in a sense of spiritual ignorance, not understanding our real need. And the Lord comes and and meets with us anyway. And so if there is no present benefit, then here's where we are. We consider what preparation was made for that ordinance. And then B, consider what you were doing during the ordinance. And so the language of the catechism um, is kind of an old way of saying all that. Their carriage at the sacrament. Right? Not a horse and carriage, obviously. But how did you behave yourself during the sacrament? What were you doing during the ordinance of the Lord's table? Now, come October, in the middle of the perfect storm of sports, where there's playoffs, and this basketball gets started in October, hockey's already going, football's going, baseball's coming into a, to an end, and if you're sitting during the communion service waiting for the hymn to be over so you can check your app to see who won what and who's ahead and who's, you know, if the whole time your mind is there and not here, well then what blessing can you expect? If your carriage at the sacrament is lacking, you know, Maybe, maybe you did make some preparation. You, you know, Sunday afternoon, you read some scripture and were meditating on the broken body and shed blood. And you come to church and 7 o'clock, or what, we start at 6, don't we? 6 o'clock, I should read our bulletin. At, at 6 o'clock, you're sitting here and you realize, man, I hope the Braves beat the Dodgers tonight. And, you know, then what's, what's going through your mind? What's happening? And... What blessing can you expect to receive when there's no focus? It's no different than a sermon. Right? If your mind's in a million different directions and you're, you're thinking about Monday and the work schedule and what you have to do and how you need to get ready for Monday, and Pastor Kimbrough's through a point and a half, and he says, thirdly, and you're like, wait, I didn't hear a firstly or a secondly. And you, know, you're, you, you tune back in on the thirdly, then... You know, your mind's just someplace else. How can you expect blessing? You know, what reason do you have to anticipate the Lord blessing and meeting with you if just, frankly, you're not meeting with Him? So consider what you were doing during the ordinance. And then see, and this is wise advice to us as well, and that is humble yourself before the Lord and ask for more grace the next time. And there is a sense in which we just pray, Lord, I blew it. I messed up. I, I, I wasn't ready. I, mentally, I wasn't here. Spiritually, I wasn't here. And I regret that. You know, that's that quote. Waiting on the Lord is hard. Wishing that you had waited on the Lord is even harder. You know, coming to that place of regret in your own heart, I was like, man, I did it again. Same thing happened last month. I don't want that to happen again. And that's where you humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, help me. Help me to do better. 
remind me to do better. Lord, would you, you're in, in your own providential and, and sovereign way next month, direct my steps so that I, I don't do this again. I, I want to focus on you. I want to, I want to be here. I want to be present. I want to be engaged in what's taking place. I don't want my mind to wander and, and be all over the place. And so help me. And we humble ourselves before the Lord and we ask for more grace to do better next time. And are you going to do it perfectly? Have any of us ever perfectly done any of this? Absolutely not. Um, But just because we don't do it perfectly, just because we haven't done it perfectly, doesn't mean that we aren't to at least aim at it. And Lord, help us. So tonight we come to the Lord's table. We have an afternoon to prepare. We have a Lord's table to, 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 to do during and we have an opportunity to put all this in, in practice. And may the Lord help us to put this into practice and know the Lord's blessing and it be truly a means of grace to us. So with that, let's close in prayer. We'll finish a few minutes early this morning, but that's okay. Let's pray. Our Father, we do come before you and admit our failings in this in so many ways. We fail to prepare. We fail to enter in spiritually during your table. And uh, afterwards, we often forget and just move on to the next thing. But we pray that you would quiet our hearts, even as we come to the Lord's table this evening. We, We ask that it would indeed be a means of grace to us. We pray for the service to follow. We pray that even all these things that we've been talking about from the perspective of the Lord's table, uh, there's a very real sense in which they apply just to uh, our our worship and uh, listening to your word preached in general. And so we pray that you would help us in uh, this time and this means of grace as well, that you would give Pastor Kimbrough a word in season for us and that you would draw our hearts out after you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.